Welcome to the Reasonable Theology Podcast, where we present sound doctrine in plain language. We're here to help you better understand, articulate, and live out the fullness of the Christian faith. And now, here's your host, Clay Craby. Welcome to the Reasonable Theology Podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Greg Lanier. Dr. Lanier is the Assistant Professor of New Testament and the Dean of Students at Reformed Theological Seminary's Orlando campus, and he's also serving as the Associate Pastor at River Oaks Church in Lake Mary, Florida. So thank you for being here, Dr. Lanier. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now today we're going to be talking about uh, how having an understanding and more information about the Old Testament assists us as we try and understand the New Testament. There's been some recent controversy of a, a preacher that was going around online where he suggested that Christians needed to unhitch the Old Testament from their understanding of the New. Why is that a mistake? Why is it not wise for Christians to either ignore or to actively say, hey, I don't need to look at the Old Testament. I've got Jesus. We've got the New Testament and go from there. Why is that a mistake? Yeah, that's a good question. And these kinds of things come around fairly regularly. Uh, I think the main thing I would mention about all this is that this notion that sort of Old Testament bad, Old Testament outdated, we're in the New Covenant, we're New Covenant Christians, therefore we just need the New Testament. It's not a new thing. Uh, it goes back to one of the earliest heresies of the church. A guy named Marcion famously was trying to essentially cut the Old Testament out of Christian practice altogether. And in fact, he was going through Luke's gospel. He was going through some of Paul's letters and was really trying to either extricate out or severely downplay all the times when they're quoting from the Old Testament. So your average Christian, uh, if you grow up in certain circles, you may have just thought that was normal. It's like, well, we don't really do much with the Old Testament. It's a bunch of stories. Maybe they're, you know, maybe I know about Daniel or I know about Moses or the golden calf, but it's sort of not all that relevant to today. And so that's really just normal for folks. The problem with that sure. is um, the New Testament doesn't really give us that option to cut out the Old Testament. And maybe what we'll get into in our discussion is that actually from the very first word of the New Testament, uh, it begins with the book of the origins of Jesus, which is in Matthew 1, a very explicit play on a, the exact same language that is used both in Genesis and the book of Chronicles. Matthew is self-consciously plugging into the Old Testament. Uh, the New Testament profusely quotes the Old Testament. And sometimes it's not just quoting it, it's, it's assuming you know the Old Testament. It doesn't mm-hmm. even have to quote it. You know, I can say something like four score and seven years ago, and you know what I'm talking about, right? Um, I don't Theodore have Theodore Roosevelt. Exactly, Theodore <laughs> Roosevelt. No, but we, and, and so we can communicate that way. That was just their thought world. That's what they grew up on. That was their King James, so to speak. Uh, and that was the language by which they articulated their understanding. And so the New Testament yeah. do, doesn't give us any option to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament at all. Yeah. Uh, you don't actually understand the new without the old. Maybe that's some of the stuff we'll get into. Yeah. And it makes sense that, uh, you know, the average person reading their Bible, if they're going to come, um, and depending on their version of the Bible, maybe it'll be italicized, maybe it'll be a note, but they'll see that there is an explicit quote. Uh, and that's a pretty clear line. They understand, okay, it would benefit me to know what this is quoted from, maybe what the context is. What are some of the other ways that the New Testament makes use of the Old Testament? Maybe a little bit more subtle, but what are some examples of where having an understanding of the Old Testament is really essential for understanding an aspect of the New Testament, whether it be in the Gospels or Romans or Paul or or wherever? 
Well, it's, it's kind of hard to narrow it down, but just thinking through big categories, uh, one, one way that may be surprising to folks is that you actually don't understand what the New Testament even is without understanding the Old Testament. Let me explain what I mean by that. The Old Testament presents itself as the written documentation of God's loving covenant, what we call the covenant that he has made with his people. Um, and it would take a while to prove all that out, but um, the Old Testament, even by its name, Old Testament actually is Old Covenant. Paul, in fact, himself, 2 Corinthians uh, 3 and 4, refers to when we read the Old Covenant. And so Old Testament is actually the documentation, its narrative, its law, its poetry, all around this notion of God has acted in history on behalf of his people. Mm. And so that's what scripture is. Yeah. And I think it's even more helpful in some respects, instead of talking about Bible, to talk about scripture. Bible is the sort of final printed version. Scripture is God's written self-revelation. It's what he's declared about himself in written form. And so if you're a early Jewish follower of Jesus... The only quote-unquote Bible you know is the covenant of the old, the old era, the covenant scriptures. And so when Luke and Matthew and John and Paul and James and others are sitting down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write something, as you know, uh, what did Jesus say in the upper room? What is he inaugurating in his blood? The new covenant. The new covenant. And if you're going to have a new covenant... They're expecting new documentation of that covenant. So the New Testament is profoundly, the sort of self-awareness of what even the New Testament is, is covenant documentation that is building on old covenant documentation. Uh, A few other sort of shorter ones I can mention. Uh, First, I like to use this example. Um, The Old Testament really gives us what we need to understand the work of Christ. Um, You walk to, uh, you're at a bus stop, for instance, um, or let's say you have a visitor who's come to your church. And let's say, Clay, uh, you're, you, preach, you just preached your heart out or you're, you're wanting to evangelize this person at the bus stop. And you say, you know, you need to believe in Jesus and be washed in his blood. I mean, what would someone who's never been to church, yeah. when, they say, when they hear Christians say, we, um, we're washed in the blood, yeah. it sounds quite morbid, right? Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. Like, I, I am going to leave as soon as possible because I have no idea yeah. what these bloody people <laughs> are talking about. Well, Christ, that's Christianese for... A whole bunch of things related to the work of Jesus on our behalf. But that language is actually Old Testament language. Right, yeah. Whenever we think of, okay, what Christ has done to save us, the Old Testament is what actually explains to us why what he did actually worked. Why death on a cross, in particular. Why there was a problem to begin with, sin. What atonement is. Why anyone who sacrifices anything... And why blood matters and all of that, uh, why, what expiation is. In fact, the Old Testament actually gives us all the expectation about resurrection. Uh, it gives us the language and concepts about reconciliation. None of that makes any sense at all in the New Testament if you just read it first glance. And we're talking about everything's cleansed with blood and you can be forgiven of your sin and you can be reconciled to God. That doesn't make any sense yeah. without the Old Testament giving you what that is. Um, the Old Testament is really essential to understanding, uh, third, who we are. You read throughout the Old Testament, over and over again, you see the gathering of, of the Old Testament people of God. And there's specific words that are used for that. And throughout uh, the sort of Jewish community, they translate all that language typically using one particular word, ecclesia, uh, which lots of you know, uh, folks may be familiar with that term. Well, when the New Testament writers were thinking of, okay, what's the best word to describe what we are? 
of course, they weren't using church because that's an English word, but they use that word. They use a word that is very self-consciously tapping into the people of God as they've existed from the very beginning. And so uh, the Old Testament helps us understand who we are. And some are saying, I don't like the language, we're New Covenant Christians. We're, we're the people of God because mm-hmm. we, we're tapping into, we're planted into yeah. uh, an existing people. And then uh, I think finally, I've been doing a lot of work lately in teaching at our church on divine nature of Christ. And this may be a bit surprising, but not only does the Old Testament give us all the concepts, all the language that describe the work of Jesus and everything that entails salvation and all that, uh, actually gives us an understanding of his person. I would argue that when the New Testament authors were laboring to use their concepts, their language, and so forth, to articulate the full divinity of Jesus, what they did is they actually used the Old Testament to do it. And they're taking passages, for instance, Mark 1, 1 through 3 is famous for this, where you have three passages that in their original context are talking about Yahweh. And they're very clearly in Mark 1, 1 through 3 being transformed to say, no, it's actually Jesus, actually Jesus mm. Christ. Yeah. Uh, we're understanding Jesus to be the true God of Israel and it's in the second person. And they're doing it through the Old Testament, uh, not in spite of it. They haven't unhitched themselves. Right? We don't understand the divinity of Jesus without the Old Testament because they're actually saying he is and always has been the one true God of Israel in the second person sure. in the flesh. If you enjoy the sermons and written works of C.H. Spurgeon, I encourage you to check out the all-new chspurgeon.com. Here you'll find free, unabridged sermon audio delivered with the dynamic of live preaching, articles written by and about the Prince of Preachers, a chronological bibliography of all his books, and much more. This will be a growing library of Spurgeon-related resources to help you in your walk with the Lord. So check it out at chspurgeon.com. Son. So, I mean, it's fair to say then that um, the New Testament writers aren't going to great lengths to explain these Old Testament references, not because they're no longer important, but because they assume that the reader knows them. Is right. that fair? Yeah. You know, it's funny in, in pop culture, or like the best musicians, if they're going to sample or, or draw on prior work or artists, if they're going to try to channel Van Gogh, they're not going to heavy-handedly tell you, by the way, this is yeah. I'm channeling Van Gogh, or I'm, I'm, I'm sampling from whomever. Uh, they're just going to do it because you know it, right? You right. actually pick up on the resonance there. Um, and so not every time, but a lot of times they're doing that. You sure. know, it's, you know, famously, the book of Revelation has zero quotes of the Old Testament, but you can't read the book of Revelation without knowing Ezekiel, Daniel, and Zechariah. If you've never read those three books, Revelation makes no sense whatsoever, sure, yeah. which leads to locusts and helicopters and yeah. Russia and so forth. <laughs> exactly. How would you pastorally respond to someone who views the Old Testament as obsolete? The Old Testament is all law. Jesus came in, now we have grace, so I'm just going to go with grace. You know, they're, they're taking old and new, old in the pejorative sense, new in a good sense, and they're mm-hmm. going to go from there. How would you respond and maybe pastorally speak into that to encourage them to maybe rethink that conclusion yeah. a little bit? Yeah, it's a real challenge. What we're talking about here is a fundamental change to, way you, to the way you read Scripture. And that's, that's not easy. That's not something that I can just we can pull off in five minutes. Um, so it takes time. I think it takes a lot of patience. If you, if you have either self-consciously or because you didn't know better, 
you've developed this notion that Old Testament law, old, bad, New Testament grace, love, etc. Even to the extent where a lot of folks may even say, okay, Old Testament God different than God of the New Testament. I think patience is key. I think being teachable is key. But if I, if I had to think, okay, pastorally, what would I do if I had an hour to sit down with someone? Maybe the yeah. first place I would go, and probably the most common place, at least if you, it may, if you have just a real thin knowledge of the Bible, if nothing else, you probably have heard of the Ten Commandments. Um, and what I would do is I would go to Exodus 20, and then I would turn back a chapter, and I would take him to Exodus 19. And I would read Exodus 19, because what you see in Exodus 19, before you ever get to law about murder and adultery and coveting and all that, and worshiping the one true God and no idols and all of those things, uh, what you see in Exodus 19 is this beautiful and, and intensely rich declaration by God that I have redeemed you. I have called you to myself. I have brought you out of oppression carried you on my back, metaphorically speaking, and delivered you. And then he says, and in light of that, in light of the fact that I have entered into this relationship of grace with you, I have graced myself to you, made you my own people, placed my name upon you. Uh, then he says, okay, here is the way that we live in fellowship with one another. Here's the, here, here are the house rules, so to speak. I've adopted you into my family. Now let me give you, here's the way this is going to work best. But it's, for instance, don't worship other gods. Like yeah. Whenever you kind of look at it that way, are like, oh, yeah, of course I wouldn't do that if you're the one who's done those things to me. And what's so helpful about that is that you read, okay, even, even in the logic of the law, in fact, at the pinnacle of the law, uh, you have grace preceding law. You have grace preceding any sort of sure. moral obligation. Um, and uh, that, I think, is an important starting point that, uh, that I think helps reframe the question. What's interesting then is it doesn't just happen there. Leviticus often is the place where folks stumble the most right, on yeah, Old they Testament get law. Lost in their year-long Bible reading plan in Leviticus. Exactly. It's either, they, there, it's either Leviticus or Numbers. Once you, you know, once you get past the kind of interesting narratives and numbers, and you start to get to the other stipulations and censuses and so forth, that's when you you flame out. You know, in March or whenever it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, even in Leviticus, where you have the most intense stipulations about food, about purity, and all these kinds of things. Over and over again, what you see, even in Leviticus, uh, is this emphasis, I am the Lord your God. I have redeemed you to myself, and this is how you live in light of that relationship. So it's grace first, always, even in Leviticus. And, of course, famously, when you think of, okay, well, how does Jesus talk about the law? Well, he says, okay, it's love God, which is in various forms essentially the first commandment. And then he says, love neighbor. Well, where does that come from? Well, oddly enough, it comes from Leviticus. Mm. The final thing I might mention, there's a sense, for whatever reason, that you know, the New Testament is all about grace. And I, and I right. think what people mean by that is uh, you know, God is a loving God, an accepting God. He doesn't impose any obligations on us and so forth. Um, of course, you very quickly run into a problem a couple chapters into the first book of the New Testament where Jesus himself is the one who lays down some fairly hefty yeah. moral obligations in the Sermon on the Mount uh, all his other ethical teachings, um, you know, Galatians, uh, one of Paul's letters, is in some respects the most, the most pointed or most acute uh, writing in the New Testament that really takes the law to task. But Paul still in Galatians lands with imperatives. Mm-hmm. He still lands with, now, okay, that's all true, but you're still supposed to go and right. live this way. There are still obligations on you placed. And in fact, what does he do? He quotes the Old Testament when he does that. 
Now, let's say, and you mentioned that, you know, it is a process. It is have to be patient pastorally to speak to someone who has felt maybe they've neglected the Old Testament. Or maybe it's a new believer. They want to start reading the Old Testament as well. Do you recommend, hey, Genesis 1-1, and then just keep going? <laughs> Do you recommend, hey, why don't you hop in the Psalms or Proverbs? That's a great question. I, I do think there is much fruit to be gained from reading sure. the entire Bible cover to cover. Well, certainly, I yeah. mean, in some respects, there actually is a kind of edifying sense of, man, I, I did that. It was great. Uh, the problem with it is the Old Testament is 979 or 980, depending on how you want to enumerate them, chapters. Right. That's a long book. Yeah, it's big. I mean, New Testament's nothing to sneeze at, but yeah. it's about a fifth well, as I think, long. Yeah, people don't typically realize, you know, put your thumb in between Matthew and Malachi. The it's a big difference. Two-thirds of your yeah. Bible is your Old Testament. Exactly. And there's a perfect picture for the Christian. <laughs> Maybe I need to know what's in this yeah, thing. Exactly. <laughs> the other big challenge of reading straight through the Bible, whether you're a seasoned person or a new Christian, is that you get to the end of, call it 2,000 pages, and it's December 20th or whatever. And you look back and like, I have no idea what Habakkuk was about. I read it. Right. But I, I don't remember anything about it. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I've been working on with, over the past year is what I call a redemptive historical reading plan. There's different ways of approaching the story of the Bible. One of them is called the redemptive historical approach, which means God has a saving plan, redemptive, that he is working out in time from the very beginning to the present day and into the future. That's the historical part. And that scripture, both old and new, is the inspired, encovenanted, to use the, the church historical language for it, is the, it's the inscripturated telling of that story. Mm-hmm. With songs and proverbs and law and so forth built right. in, describing the nature of the, this people that God is saving. And so if you look at redemptive history, there are big movements in it. You study any history. Every history right, book yeah. is selective, right? There are certain episodes. Everything that happens in history is important. Certain episodes are yeah. kind of the key. Industrial ones. revolution. Yeah, things understand. like that, they're going to harp and on. And so you yeah. can read the Bible that way as well. There's sort of big movements that are taking place into which everything else fits. And so what I've tried to do is uh, curate the Old and New Testament to help take the what ends up being over a thousand chapters and picking the really key chapters. For instance, Genesis 15 is the one where you have God making his promise to Abraham and so forth. That's a massive one. It gets quoted mm-hmm. a lot and so forth. And then what I've done is for each of the Old Testament parts of it, I've brought in the New Testament that is specifically interacting with sure. it uh, and giving you an inspired commentary on it. And so it ends up being all in a little bit, I think a little bit less than 200 chapters. It's something you could do at less than a chapter a day. If you read a normal Bible reading plan, you're doing almost three chapters right, a day, yeah. which is a lot. And you're just, at, you know, after 15 chapters in a week, you're exhausted. And you have yeah. an, So this is, you can go at a slower pace. You have an Old and New Testament built in. And the whole goal is to actually say, okay, spend a year getting your, your head around the big picture. Right. The framework, the skeleton of the story. And then the next time when you read cover to cover, then you're like, oh, okay. I remember what's going on in the prophets and what's going on with the two exiles and how you have this messianic hope developing. Okay, now I can go and read Zephaniah and it makes more sense because right. I have a grid to fit it in. Whereas earlier I was like, okay, here's just another book that yep. is talking about Yeah, you're kind of getting dropped off in a helicopter somewhere. You don't know where you are, why you're there. You're just trying to get the most of it, then you go off to some other book. Right. So now, that so, sounds like it'd be really helpful. We'll be sure to link to that in, in the show notes on this episode because it would be nice for people to kind of, like you said, immerse right. themselves in a way that also has some of that grounding to what's known so mm-hmm. they can kind of get their bearings a little bit right. throughout. Well, just uh, finally, as we kind of wrap up here, um, 
any any books, other resources? If you if you're talking to someone that would like to be a little bit more intentional mm-hmm. in not only reading their Old Testament, but maybe studying it, getting a better acquainted with um, the history of it, or uh, introductions to various books. What are some resources, some tools that you would recommend people take a look at, have on a shelf nearby, check out online yeah, to sure. help them in that? Uh, we really are in an era of tremendous blessing in terms of good study Bibles. Obviously, you may not agree with 100% of what they're saying in the right. notes. Yeah. And you want to be sure, okay, the Bible text more important than the footnotes. Yeah. But the footnotes are really helpful, especially introductions to books that are going to give you a, a sense of, okay, when was this written? And more importantly, not the dates and so forth are really important. But a lot of times they're going to really help you contextualize, like why does it matter what's going on in the world? Why, what is God doing now? How does that relate to me? And in fact, I would recommend one or two good study Bibles uh, to kind of give you different perspectives. They all have their strengths and weaknesses. Um, so that might be the number one port of call sure. that I would recommend to folks, uh, picking a very good, uh, robust study Bible, investing in that. It's going to have good notes for the text, but also good introductory matters. Oftentimes they'll have little articles about various topics. In terms of introductions to the Old Testament, there's a, a real thin volume by Alex Motier, an Old Testament scholar that's put out by Christian Focus. And it is uh, called Loving the Old Testament. And he basically is giving us a, a Christian, essentially what we've been talking about, a as a Christian, not only should we begrudgingly occasionally read some Old Testament narratives or tell our kids the story of you know, Esther, have three daughters, and so they love that story. But he's saying, no, actually, we should love all of it for all it's worth. And here's why, and here's what's going on. So it's a really helpful book. Uh, it's short, and so it's not necessarily a reference book. It's right. more of, hey, let me buy into this notion sure. that the Old Testament is Christian scripture as well. Uh, in terms of a bigger book to have on your shelf and use, uh, there's a handful of Old Testament introductions on the market, and oftentimes these might be six or 700 pages. Through Crossway, the RTS faculty system-wide have put out a biblical theological introduction to the Old Testament which is giving you both a historical but also a theological and really pastoral introduction to the books of the Old Testament, how they fit together, what the running themes are, uh, why they matter, how we should use them today so that we're not just saying, okay, be like David, don't be like whoever, but actually thinking, okay, how do they reveal Christ? What are they saying to me now? And so on. But it has a lot of scholarly stuff too for those who want to go that deep. And so I would recommend that. Uh, to close us off, if you had to just give a, a brief, concise, overarching theme to what the Old Testament is and contains, what would you say? I will be your God, and you will be my people. And God says that over and over again. I am your true God, and I have made you to be my people. Of course, he's the creator of all things. Right. It's a specific people that he is saving, has saved, that he is drawing to himself. And the reason why I say it is it's really the theme, not just the Old Testament, it's the theme of the New Testament as well. It began, you know, this phrase first shows up quite early uh, in Genesis. It uh, is one of the last things written in the book of Revelation. And that, I think, you can't really outdo the Bible's own thematic statement of itself. Uh, That's probably what I would go with. Excellent. Well, our guest has been Dr. Greg Lanier, Assistant Professor of New Testament and Dean of Students at Reformed Theological Seminary's Orlando campus. Uh, When you get a chance, be sure to check out the show notes for this page at reasonabletheology.org slash episode two, where you can dive deeper into the topic and have some links to some of the things that were mentioned as resources during this episode. So Dr. Lanier, thank you for joining us. Thanks a lot. 
Thanks for listening to the Reasonable Theology Podcast. Be sure to visit reasonabletheology.org for more helpful resources on understanding, articulating, and living out the Christian faith. In addition to the show notes for this episode, you'll find articles, videos, book reviews, and much more. That's reasonabletheology.org. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the Reasonable Theology podcast, go to reasonabletheology.org slash subscribe and get the weekly email. Each week I send out the latest article or podcast episode, and each email also includes a helpful definition to expand your theological vocabulary, a beautiful painting depicting a scene from scripture or church history, a musical selection to enrich your day, as well as the best book deal I've found that week to add trusted resources to your library. Try it out at reasonabletheology.org slash subscribe.